When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the next edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrate.com. Pete Sampson and Tim Priester, another two-man <laughs> booth today. Uh, we've got some roster news. Ashton White out. Daniel Cage, probably, almost certainly a medical uh, situation there where he won't play this season. Remains to be seen whether he'll play again at all. Um, fall camp uh, is a week away. What? <laughs> and then... Uh, a couple Life of, as we know yes, it. Yes, a couple of commitments, I think, since our last regular podcast. 2019 quarterback Cade McNamara from Reno, Nevada. And just last night, Jameer Smith, uh, the running back from North Carolina, as we were unveiling our new website. Um, now powered by CBS Sports. So, uh, yeah, Tim, let's start with uh, the actual team that we cover. Yeah. Ashton White and Daniel Cage. Ashton White doesn't really have a whole lot of impact on Notre Dame this year. Daniel Cage in a theoretical sense, does. There's no doubt about it. And, I mean, he's a guy that we've been pointing to as as being very key to the success of this interior defensive line this year. But we knew all along that it was kind of a long shot. O'Malley has kind of been beating the drum about that. A guy that misses that much time with a concussion, usually it's a long-term deal. And so now, when you look at that interior defensive line, it is just a mishmash of Jerry Tillery, and a bunch of guys, and to a large extent, <laughs> Jerry Tillery. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and Jerry Tillery really, you know, Jerry Tillery, as much time as he logged last year, had a grand total of zero sacks and three tackles for loss. So, um, he needs to take his game up tremendously. John Jonathan Bonner has to show some things that we didn't see in the spring. Somehow, Micah Du Treadway, Elijah Taylor, Brandon Tiasam, they need some productivity from that trio. Otherwise, you're leaning heavily on a trio of young interior defensive linemen, Darnell Hewell, Myron Tagovailoa, and Kurt Heinisch. Yeah, I mean, on that front, uh, if you're on our message board, I posted some summer camp or summer conditioning type notes uh, on the freshman class. Darnell Hewell was maybe a step behind conditioning-wise at the beginning I'm told he's really made up ground since. Uh, Myron Tagovailoa, I continue to hear very, very good things about. I'll be curious to see whether he's ready to play at all, but also whether it's a strong side end or is he already sort of weight classed out into a three technique. Uh, Notre Dame needs help at both positions. And then, um, you know, Kurt Heinisch is somebody that I've, I've heard good things about as well, which... Frank surprised me a little bit because I thought he was going to be more of like a try-hard program guy who's here for five years, um, you know, and, and doesn't really break in the lineup until his senior year. He may be at least a productive practice player out of the gate, so maybe they have a little bit more there. Um, but with Cage, it was always it was always sort of a theoretical thing with him. Like a healthy Daniel Cage would have made a big impact, but we knew he wasn't going to be healthy. It was just a matter of how off the pace he was. And even though a month ago Brian Kelly said he expected to be ready for camp, you know, the concussions and knee surgery 
He was just never going to get that close. Well, even before he had the concussion issues, he was a part-time player yeah. and from a conditioning standpoint. So, you know, I, I I think we've sent up the red flag pretty much the last few months mm-hmm. since the end of spring that this was this is a strong possibility. Tagovailoa is interesting, and I and I will make a and I did compare him in the A to Z series to a body type that comes to mind when I watch him play. I'm not saying he's going to be Melvin Dansby because Melvin Dansby eventually became a very good football player for Notre Dame, but it's that body type, that length on the interior with some strength, and you see why he's also considered a strong side defensive end slash three technique. But, boy, I hope I hope he's a guy that can, you know, I mean, again, those three guys, you either have to count on Micah Dutredewey, Elijah Taylor, Brandon Tiasem, who we've seen basically virtually nothing from in a well, couple years. Well, they have not played in zero games. Well, Elijah Taylor got in yeah. a little bit at the end of last year and, and showed a little bit of promise. But the other two, have, have you're right, have gotten into zero games. So is it going to be these juniors that have done nothing up to this point or these freshmen? So I don't care who it is. I don't, you know, I'm not cheered for, I'm not cheered for one over the other. I would just like to see two or three of those, those bodies. As far as the, the, the Ashton White, and you wrote a column about this, and it's it's totally true. If you're going to lose guys, you want it to be guys on scholarship who have made no contribution and who weren't going to make a contribution, and mean-spirited or not, Ashton White was in that category. Yeah, I mean, their transfers this offseason have been basically scholarships 70 to 85, you know, excluding the freshman class. Excluding Tristan Hodge, I, 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 yeah, would, I would point. take him. I would take him out of that. But Parker Boudreaux, Josh Barajas, Spencer Perry, and then earlier Justin Brent, Corey Holmes. I mean, these are guys certainly in the bottom half of the roster. They're they're fringe two deep guys. Not they're not even rotational guys. No. Corey Holmes a little bit. I mean, he at least got on the field last year. But, Made a couple, but I, I think they've sort of catches. basically replaced him with. Two new versions of yeah. Corey Holmes in the grad transfers uh, market. So I, these transfers, I think, are great for Notre Dame because who would you rather have? Would you rather have Alohi Gilman or Ashton White? You'd much rather have that scholarship go to Alohi Gilman because right. um, that's another guy that you hear only exemplary things about in the offseason and they really want to get him eligible. And I, we had some questions on our message board about that. Okay, wh- what's happening there? Uh, the I can tell you that the appeal was formally filed last week. They hope to hear something in August. Uh, I would expect when training camp opens, he'll be repping as if he's going to play, and then if they have to pull the reins back on that, they will. Uh, but the people I talk to around Notre Dame, they feel like if he's eligible, he will be in the running to be the best safety on the team, which is yeah, I mean, saying I, something. Who, and who's he? Who's he? Who is yeah, he? Yeah, running with. That's I mean. what I'm saying. It's saying something. It's not necessarily all good things, but it's saying something. You figure out what I'm saying. Yeah, I, you know, I and I guess I, 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 I get it. Why, why they would appeal and and think that he has a good uh, argument here. I could understand why Navy would be saying we gave him to you, and you want him to be eligible right away too. Um, you yeah. know, but they need him. They they absolutely need him. And that kind of a segue. You know what? And and we talked again. I missed the last podcast, so I haven't been on here for like six weeks or so. And and, and six weeks ago, we talked Kevin Stefferson and 
I mean, you think Kevin Stefferson's a full go now. They're, they're, he's going to be treated like he was last year at this time moving into the lineup. Yeah, I mean, we're getting pretty late in the game for that not to be the case. Yeah. I haven't heard anything. I mean, that's My point is, this yeah. is real, This is significant. Yeah. This was the number two uh, touchdown reception guy on, on the roster last year. They, they need him. Now you pair him up with uh, Equinemius St. Brown. With all these other guys supplementing, and you've got a pretty dynamic-looking uh, wide receiver core. Somebody's got to be good. I, mean, I think receiver is the ultimate, let's just throw numbers at the problem, <laughs> Yeah, see, see what happens. Uh, we, may, we may actually see the football spread around a little bit more than normal. I mean, you always, you always go in and say, oh, they're too deep, and then it ends up being three guys and you know some other guys playing a very minor role. But I think there's a possibility, especially with a young quarterback, and he's going to be thrown to the tight ends too. I just think the football is going to be spread around an awful lot. Yeah, I, on the Stefferson thing, and this applies to everyone on the roster because their name's been clipped by sort of some summer school grade ineligibilities. The last day of class for the summer school session, I believe, is July twenty eighth. So that's so hold your breath at the end of this week. <laughs> um, so if if when we're back next week and. We have no news on players with GPAs. Yeah. Like that will be a good thing, because um, I, I think by Monday you'll know, and it might even be over the weekend. Right. So, a uh, couple verbal commitments in the last week, and one in the last twenty-four hours. Jameer Smith from the class of two thousand eighteen, Cade McNamara, quarterback, two thousand nineteen. I've written film reviews, Pete. Your your initial impression of those two guys? You know, I McNamara. I, f- I feel like is kind of Ian Bookish. Um, Maybe better arm strength down the field, pushing the ball vertically. But uh, I think I'm sort of more interested in the backstory of him because he was a guy that Notre Dame actually went out and saw uh, during the spring evaluation period. Saw him work out, not just visited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he came out for camp in June, worked out again. They really liked him. Um, you know, so it. I sort of look at it as okay, you got to find a fit, but. More so for the school than the system, and I know that it's, it's you look at like, well, it's a great fit for Chip Long's system. Well, Chip Long's not going to be here when Kate McNamara gets in a game right. as, as a junior. It's going to be five years down the road. <laughs> um, you know, Brian Kelly's not going to be here yeah. at that point. I mean, he's not going to be entering <laughs> year twelve or year thirteen, most likely. So you got to find somebody that really wants to be at Notre Dame more so than the staff. So I think Kate McNamara checks those boxes. And I think whether he's a fit for this system or not, unless Notre Dame goes triple option, I think he'd be a fit for basically every system because everyone's running some version of the spread. Uh, and he's mobile enough and has arm strength enough, and is sort of going to be have to be very patient because Notre Dame has a pretty good quarterback recruiting run going here, especially with uh, Phil Jerkovic one year before him. So yeah. you're going to have to be very patient and. I think that uh, Cade McNamara sort of fits into all those ways now. A couple guys had a little fun at my expense on the message board because I love Cade McNamara so much. I didn't say he was going to be a star at Notre Dame and that he's going to beat Phil Dracovic out. It's just that how can you watch that kid and not get excited about how he plays? I mean, Notre Dame does not recruit quarterbacks like that. He's he's a gunslinger, man. He'll try to make any throw. He'll throw it off his back foot, his side foot, his tiptoes. He'll throw it any way. That he possibly can. He's really fun to watch and very creative and resourceful and can do a lot of things. But, um, you know, why is he a three-star? Why, you know, I think size and just overall strength. And uh, Dylan Morris um, is a 
bigger, stockier, put-together kid, so that's why he's a four-star. But I like Cade McNamara better. I think he can do more things for you. I think he's more resourceful, and I think he's a whole bunch of fun to watch play. Yeah, I mean, I think if he was a couple inches taller than, you know, he would probably be Phil Dracovic at that yeah. point. Uh, you know, I think Phil Dracovic is a, a really good athlete. He is. Um, you know, multi-sport guy. I think McNamara is... A good athlete, but Phil Jacoby. Man, McNamara takes some shots. He puts himself yeah. in positions where, where he takes shots, which you can you know, you appreciate. I mean, mm-hmm. he's willing to stand in there. He he's confident that that he can put the ball where he wants in, in tight windows, and so he'll hang in there and take the hit and, and make the throw. So yeah, and I mean, it was this was a guy that uh, you know Tommy Reese also really liked, and you know, kind of one of his first evaluations and recruitments. And from what I can gather around the program, that Brandon Wimbush is really fond of Reese and loves working with the guy. Um, so that we'll see. I, I think Reese has some real potential to be a, a good coach, especially in this system where he's working under some more quarterback experience. Yeah, I, I, I felt that all along. I mean, to judge Tommy Reese based upon how you thought of him as a player at Notre Dame. You know, I mean that in terms of a quarterback coach, that one has nothing to do with the other. Jameer Smith, uh, I, I think, is really interesting when you take into consideration Chip Long was hired. He implemented multiple tight end sets in the spring. Uh, Marquis Step is coming in. Of course, you still have C.J. Holmes. I don't think I actually mentioned him in my review of Jameer Smith. So you got some dash there too. But when you take Marquis Step and, and Jameer Smith, Jameer Smith is kind of a a smaller version of Elijah Hood. I, I always regretted the fact that Notre Dame didn't have a power back like Elijah Hood. Uh, and and I, there are limitations to Smith's game in terms of he's he's way quicker than he is fast. Yeah. Um, and so he's going to have difficulty. He's going to have a lot of five yard carries. He is, and 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 when he hits when he hits between the tackles and it's not there and he bounces it outside, there's going to be length out there that's going to track him down. So. Uh, that's why he's a three star, but I like him, and you gotta like you gotta like the kid's personality. He's real serious, real quiet. He isn't gonna do a ton of interviews. He's just a ball player, but man, from the waist down, that is one strong dude. Yeah, that's what uh, I did a story. It's up. It was up last night on Irish Illustrate talking to sort of the recruiting coordinator, who's also the defensive coordinator at Lee County High School in Sanford, North Carolina, because he was he came up with Smith on the visit um, a week ago. And, you know, I think he said that he he was like, I'm pretty sure he squats in the 580s. I believe that. Okay. I yeah. believe that. I mean, he looks like a player with that kind of power. And it, I'm I'm interested because you don't really see running back tandems where it's like thunder and thunder. Like, yeah. it always has to be one well, and then still, the other. Well, you still have C.J. Holmes in there who right. hasn't played yet. So but at, and, like, one, at one, yeah. in one class, you know what I mean? Um, but so Notre Dame... Nording's program is begging for those kind of players. <laughs> it's just begging for begging it. for the next Robert Hughes. Yeah, I mean it just it's just so necessary, and that's why I always uh, bemoan the the loss of Elijah Hood because I thought he really would have brought something that was necessary to the Brian Kelly regime. Yeah, but I think Jameer Smith. It's it's. I think I said this on our message board. In some ways, he's exactly like Marquis Step. In some ways, he's exactly the opposite in terms of his personality because Marquis Step is big on social media. He wants to recruit. There's, I got these offers. I want to tweet about them. Jameer Smith's like, I don't want to talk to anybody about yeah. anything. Um, but, you know, Jameer Smith's a, got a GPA over four point. His mom's a nurse. He wants to go in uh, medicine. 
after college um, and said, you know, he came up here, hung out with Brandon Wimbush and some other players and just was like, hey, these guys are like me. So I think he's going to be a real low-maintenance guy for yeah. Notre Dame uh, over the next four years. Be curious to see if he does early enrollment. Not entirely sure that's happening, but um, he'll he should have the credits to do it. And knock on table here. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to check him out the Friday night before the North Carolina game because um, we'll be down in sort in that area. And it's I think he's playing a game maybe in like an hour from Chapel Hill. So I would uh, kind of I will attend that with you. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I yeah, did, I, I did want to I, I, before maybe we finish up this first segment. Uh, as as I get closer to wrapping up the first rate series and really trying to take a look at the talent on Notre Dame schedule, and you try to watch a little bit of film, but there's only so much so much time in the summer to get all that done. So you know, a lot of it is on paper study, and I, I've come to two conclusions as I'm as I'm wrapping uh, wrapping that series up. Number one, there are a lot of good football players on Notre Dame schedule this year. They're, they're playing against a lot of good football players especially on the defensive side of the ball. We said earlier this summer that 10 of the 12 opponents finished in the top 40 in the country last year in total defense. There are a lot of good football players that that, that, that Notre Dame's offense, which is their strength, mm-hmm. will be matching up against. So that'll be some interesting matchups. Number two, and you would have particular interest to this, Pete, because you, you were familiar with the Michigan State program uh, when you were growing up. Michigan State is a terrible football program right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I am t- familiar with that Michigan State. I, I mean, I am, here, I am here to tell you that on paper, this is an awful football team. What people don't—they were three and nine last year, and I think if you didn't look at it closely, you thought, "Oh, they lost a lot from 2015. That's why they were bad in 2016." That was not the case. They were a veteran football team last year, and, and I don't know if they checked out or what. The attitude was bad, or D'Antonio lost them, whatever. But that was a veteran football team last year. This year. They have very few returning players, and on paper, they are one of the worst-looking teams on Notre Dame's schedule. <laughs> they really are. If Notre Dame loses that, I don't care where you play that. I said, I don't care if you play it in Duffy Doherty's backyard. <laughs> you should not lose to Michigan State this year. All right, so they... Okay. <laughs> I mean, they can't lose to them. I mean, there's no way around it. They have to sweep Michigan State Boston College. They just have to sweep those games. They cannot. Well, and Temple. Kick, so you it, got it, you yeah. got to come out of that at three and off one. of USC. You have to have one loss, I think, for it to be a good season. If you're at, if you're already at two losses before the USC game, I just I have a hard yeah. I mean, I don't think I don't think Chuck Martin's going to come in here and win, but I am very very confident that they're going to play well. Bigger point differential at the end: Michigan State or Miami Ohio. Let's say Notre. We're you're saying Notre wins both. Ah, what the hell? I'll say Michigan State. (laughs) (laughs) They're gonna hammer Michigan State on the road. You heard it here first. Tim Priester, Irish Illustrated Insider. That's a way to wrap up segment one. We'll be back with questions from our readers next. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider segment two. Questions from our readers burning up the boards. First up, M. Bartletta82. If you had to guess one incoming freshman that will break into the starting lineup and start in week one Whoa. on either offense or defense, <laughs> who would be your educated guess? Whoa. Uh, week one. Wow, week one. Um I I I still think the best candidate the best two candidates, I still think is Darnell Yule just because of physicality. 
the strength, you know, I mean, the mm-hmm. ability to match up as a true freshman on the interior defensive line. And probably Isaiah Robertson because he was here. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think we saw anything in the spring that said, you know, he's about to emerge as a starter like the way Devin Studstill did last spring. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that, those would be my two best guesses. I think Isaiah Robertson is the only guess. Um, well, I'll tell you, I'll go Robert Hainsey as well as sort of like a subtle second guess at okay. right at right tackle. I don't know that I saw that this spring, but I don't know that I watched him close enough yeah. to, to formulate a, a valid opinion. Yeah, I'm just it was just on our last podcast I mentioned this. I talked to somebody who was in the offensive line room and he said, Keep an eye on Robert Hainsey. He has a chance to play this year. And I was like, Where? And he, and he said, right tackle. So week one, probably not. But that position is still sort yeah. of open. Um, but I think Isaiah Robertson, by far, is the guy that has a chance to start week one. Even though it is still a major, major long shot. Yeah. And not and, good if that happens. And when I say Yule, that would require Tillery then moving back to three technique. And probably a couple guys getting hurt. You know, I mean, that's like, when you talk about guys who start week one as freshmen, yeah. usually there's an injury involved, too. Like, Jalen Smith wouldn't have started week one without Danny Spahn's medical yeah, issues. Yeah, that's true. Manti Teo didn't start week one. Yeah. Um, you know, the week one freshman starter is like, Sam Young, I think, did it as a true freshman. Kyle Rudolph might have. Um, but, you know, sometimes you'll get guys coming off a red shirt who will do it. But the true freshman... That, how about Genmark? How about Genmark Heath, and a, a little bit older, bright? I just don't know how physically he would beat prepared. Out, how could he beat out Isaiah Robertson? I, I don't. I'm just okay. throwing it out there. <laughs> I just, I just, just uh, Jonathan yeah. Doerr could take the opening kickoff. Food for thought. <laughs> really okay, here's a tough one. Name up. Well, okay, you said Hainsey. Yeah. Okay, I would. I I wouldn't have guessed that per se. Although I know what you've been saying about him. Yeah. Uh, and what and what you've been told about? I'm him. trying to get too creative with my answer. That's yeah. why I'm coming up through. This is uh, this is. I mean, it's a good thing. There aren't. There shouldn't be very many freshmen in that position, and and there aren't. Uh, Irish fan four twenty five. Did we do? Did Notre Dame do enough to beat Ohio State and Penn State for Jason Oa? Ah, uh, I guess define enough. I mean, if define enough is get him, then I think the answer is going to be no. Uh, if did they work? Yeah, it's, I mean, you can def- interpret that a couple different. Yeah. Did, did, I mean, they- are they going to get him? I think no. Um, did they do enough to get him? Well, I, I've said this on our message board. I'll say it here. I think if Notre Dame went eight and four instead of eight and four and eight, they probably would have already got him. But Notre Dame is is so far off the pace from a football decision right now that it's hard to sit there and say, well, okay, academics are first, second, third, whatever, but. Football is, is has to be part of the decision. They are football players, and this kid is getting really turned on to the fact that, like, wow, I've got potential not only to play a lot and be a great college football player, I could play beyond the fo- beyond college, beyond Notre Dame, beyond Ohio State, beyond Penn State. And who is sort of known as the best defensive line coach in college football? Probably Larry Johnson. Uh, I mean, he's certainly top five at that position. Oh, has really connected with Johnson. And, you know, for people who get bent out of shape about the whole degree aspect of it, here's another way to look at it. What's more likely to happen? Jason Owa goes to Ohio State and goes against convention, 
takes tough classes, gets a really high quality degree, which is happen, which easily can happen. Or he comes to Notre Dame. Notre Dame goes against convention and is in the playoff two of the next four years. So I think Ohio State's going to be. Yeah. But Notre Dame's probably not. Yeah. Well, look, Ohio State's a. I mean, it's a freaking it, machine. Yeah, it's. You know, and then you're looking at Penn State, and considering the kind of season that they had last yeah, year, they won the Big Ten. And I think, in the Rose Bowl. and look, whether people want to believe this or not, or for whatever it's worth, considering the four and eight season and where this program was in December, and the changes that were made, and the the positive vibes that are going on with the Notre Dame program right now, they are far beyond what a four and eight team should have. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Having said that. Getting back to your original point, if it's a football decision, it's still four and eight. I mean, I don't think that Jason Owick was around the Nordic football program this spring and summer, and it felt like a four and eight team. But at the end of the day, you're competing with Penn State and especially Ohio State. I don't think you win that battle. Yeah, I mean, because he was around Ohio State, probably felt a lot like a twelve and two team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So it's a it's just a different beast down there. All right, next up, ND six fifteen. Fill in the blank. A win over Georgia would rank number blank on the list of Brian Kelly's most important wins at Notre Dame. I'm not a big fan of these types of questions. No offense, ND six fifteen. We love all your questions. Um, That's not true. That's a lie. <laughs> not talking to you, ND six fifteen. I'm just saying in general. We appreciate yeah. all your questions. <laughs> okay, we fair. don't necessarily love that. I'm not a big fan of these things because I don't I, because of you know ratings but um i mean oklahoma is the biggest win right there isn't even i mean are, are you can are you certainly certainly other wins from 2012 at usc to end the season yeah um you know 2013 michigan state lost one time it didn't feel like it at that time like you know there was just like michigan state was going to go on and be 13 and one right but they were i i think you know the 2014 home win over michigan Felt damn good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 31 to nothing. Yeah, well, it's also the flip side of that is, let's say Notre Dame beat Michigan State last year. I, th- I mean, there were other people in our profession on the beat that said that was the most important game of the Brian Kelly era going into it. Yeah. Well, let's say Notre Dame won a win over 2-10 and 10 Michigan State right. to finish 5-7. and Right, seven. right, right, right. Yeah, there's Hello. A, there's perspective there. And the question is most important, and you don't, you don't know most important many times when the game happens, and that's that's an example of it. In Michigan in 2014, Michigan went on and, you know, struggled. Yeah, they were so, quite bad. So, uh, you know, they, it they seemed don't. really significant at the time. I was downright <laughs> damn euphoric. <laughs> hey, this is how significant it was. It helped get Jim Harbaugh there, so maybe it wasn't so good. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, your opinion on I, that? I would say probably, I would I would put it number two. I would put Oklahoma number one because that was like a national stage or re-arrival type of win for Notre Dame. Um, you know, I thought USC in 2010 was a really big one. Um, yeah. You know, even though it was, uh, you know, I had four losses. But I I think the offseason that Notre Dame had, the novelty of playing Georgia, primetime game, not the first game in the new stadium, but sort of the it's the first big game in the yeah. new stadium. And just the heat that is on Brian Kelly and the way the schedule opens up after it with the terrible, terrible Michigan State team. 
Uh, and then also Boston College <laughs> yeah. to follow, and then Miami of Ohio. Well, I'm gonna, I, may reg- I am really going to regret. Well, that's just no. That's if Notre Dame loses, shame on them. Because <laughs> Michigan State is a bad football team. Right You're now, not saying what will happen. You're saying what should happen. What should happen? Uh, what should but happen. beat Georgia. And you're looking at five and zero going to North Carolina. How you, okay, how can you pick that number two ahead of USC to end the 2012 regular season and go to the national championship? Um, okay, I'm moving it to three. It's okay, thank all you. right. So it would be number three. I won't argue it at three because I think that yeah, because I mean we were talking about how you can't judge the significance in September of how big a game is. Right. You sure as hell could judge it at the end of November because yes. that was pretty freaking yeah, big. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we'll go number three behind Oklahoma and USC from 2012. And you can beat Georgia and go to Boston College and lose 18 to 17. And don't say that. Then that is, you know, that's going to be a war. You know, it's going to be a low-scoring war at Boston College. Well, I know Boston College is not going to score a lot of points. No, they won't. They're bad too. <laughs> they're bad. they're bad too. And and a noon kickoff probably helps Notre Dame. The students at BC won't be that liquored up by that point. And, no, unless they start. they won't even be there. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> they won't what? They won't have started. No, I'm saying. Oh, they won't show up. Yes. <laughs> oh, they'll show up. It's Notre Dame. It's pretty early. Oh yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Uh, where are we at? T.M. Pollard. Why does Indy continue to struggle for elite defensive ends who fit the academic profile and can get on the field much quicker? Based upon the lack of numbers on the defensive line. I don't have a good answer for you there. Outside of they were four and eight and. Don't have a great football product to sell until the season starts. It's um, we've, I mean, for the number of podcasts and stories that we've written about Notre Dame, four and eight seems like a long time ago. If you're a prospect, four and eight's the last thing you remember about yeah. Notre Dame. So they need to get the season going, recreate some buzz. Uh, but I I agree with you. The the Oa if they end up losing Oa to Ohio State and I think especially Penn State. That one really hurts because it's hard. Like, you're not finding double Harvard parent graduates yeah. and big prep school in New Jersey. Like they just don't make Jason Owes very often. Um, whether they have a 4.0 or a 0.4, uh, so to lose somebody that has the 4.0 type of academic profile, it's it's tough. Um, I, I think he is. This one hurts more than most. Uh, if if they don't get them, you know, and I go way back, and so like if this was the '60s or '70s, yeah, Notre Dame could recruit defensive linemen and defensive ends because that's what they did then. Mm-hmm. And Joe Yanto would develop them, and they would have one of the the better defensive fronts in the country. The same way Notre Dame can, I mean, Harry Heastan has a great deal of respect. They can recruit offensive linemen, generally speaking. Um, tight ends have kind of always they've always kind of been able to recruit tight ends, but right, Notre Dame is in a time right now where. And as you know, you throw in the four and eight thing. That's just not what they do. You would have hoped that they would have been able to build upon, um, you know, Stefan to it, and and some of the some of the highly rated uh, guys that they had coming in right around them, but they haven't been able to do it. So it's just not, and it's what you need to be a national title contender yeah. and a playoff contender on a consistent basis. All right, next up, not Jay Tafel one. Besides defensive line, which other position group are you worried the most about we, for the upcoming year? Yeah, we've talked a bunch about safety, uh, that right tackle spot. After that, I don't know. I, I don't really know that there's anything. I mean, we, we like the corners. 
I like the linebackers. I think the linebackers are good. You you, you love the move of Tranquil and everything mm-hmm. that's been told to you about him. It's just <laughs> the the shortcomings on the D line are so significant that it's hard to compensate for that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I agree. Safety is it's safety and defensive tackle. Those are the big concerns. A receiver is. It's not so much a concern as just like a question mark. Like I just don't right. know who what is they it. Have going, there. Who's going to develop? Because but you right. feel like they have options there. Yeah. Whereas a defensive tackle and safety, you're like who are the who are the options? You just don't know by default. Somebody's going to bubble up and, and take those positions. Also, you can sort of mitigate that by two tight ends, some two back stuff. You know, you're only playing two receivers instead of three. You can't just. <laughs> Play two defensive linemen. Right. Uh, we're going to play the safety-free set. Right. Um, the the, uh, the the two five four set. Yeah, I think if they could play a. Yeah. Although in the uh, <laughs> two seven two, Lou Holtz won a Lou Holtz won a Sugar Bowl against Florida, basically rushing two guys because they were so bad up front, and they still found it. Well, of course. Yeah. Jerome Bettis said three touchdowns in the second half, and they were able to pound people, which is good because that's the direction that our name is going now, at least uh, you know the capabilities of being power football. Right. Swarbrick for president asks, in one complete sentence, now I do like this yeah. question, in one complete sentence, summarize your expectations for this year's team. Uh, that Brian Kelly will be the coach in 2019. 2018. Is that what you yeah, mean? That's what I mean. You mean 2018. Okay. Like, I, I don't know if like this is supposed to be some bold prediction because I'll be... But I think I'm, he'll be the head coach in 2019 as well. But I, I do too. And that's what I do too. And before I get to my sentence, I think that this recruiting, this, you know, Jameer Smith and the two tight ends. This, I know a lot of people on the outside are thinking, you know, hot seat in it. At Notre Dame, they're not thinking that way. The, the the assistant coaches that they brought in, the new coordinators, they're not thinking that way. They're thinking this is a... The guy who asked this question, Swarbrick for Prez. Right. Uh, also Jack Swarbrick. Absolutely, and including the man that, that makes a lot of the decisions. Okay, my statement is I expect Notre Dame to be better coached and more physically prepared with a better plan to win. Also fair. I don't know that you can... Uh, yeah, I don't know that you can ask for anything more than that. Considering where they were last yeah. fall, if those things are correct, then you know they're headed yeah, in the right I, direction. I think we both feel like they're going to win eight games at least this year. And that's going to lead to uh, the staff returning and probably building on it. Now, will they build on it when Mike McGlinchey and Quilton Nelson are not here anymore? That's going to be hard to do. Niles Morgan also out the door. But... I do think that they will they will make enough <laughs> progress, and not just because look they have an artificially low floor at, at four and eight. Like if they improve to six and six, that wouldn't be an improvement. No. Um, if they improved eight and four, you could also say, well, that's not really much of an improvement. But I think that they will not only get to eight wins at least, but look good doing it. They're going to show enough that makes you think in twenty eighteen they can go above eight wins. I'm not sure that they will. They they need to, but uh, I think that they will look just they will look like a more professionally run right. program this fall than they did last year beyond the win totals. I'm just in, I'm just as confident in what you're saying there as you are, and I'm just as confident to say they can't win ten games during the regular season because your defensive line's not good enough. Yeah, I think it's a fair statement too. 
All right, so now we've described this season in like eight yep. sentences. All right, so. we'll see you in December. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, we will We will be back next week. We're not entirely sure what the practice schedule is. Um, our hunch is that we're going to be talking to Brian Kelly around this time next week for a training camp preview press conference, and then we'll most likely do a podcast in the afternoon next Monday, but uh, that's all sort of subject to change with Notre Dame's media schedule. But we do know for sure August 1st, next Tuesday, training camp opens at Culver Academies, and we should be there for our first look at Notre Dame 2017. So until our next podcast, Tim Priester, Pete Sampson, will be rejoined by Tim O'Malley next week. Thanks for listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider.